Hello and welcome to another episode of Went to Know Kings Meadow, the podcast that exclusively focuses on the wonderful Chelsea women's team. Uh, pre-season is now well underway with Chelsea falling to a 2-1 defeat at the Emirates, or should that be Chelsea's academy? Anyway, our focus this week is not Chelsea per se, but it's heavily Chelsea-influenced, and that's the Olympics. Chelsea are guaranteed a gold medal for either Jesse Fleming's Canada or our Swedish contingent of Magda Eriksson, John Anderson and Sakira Muzovic. And there's also a potential of a bronze with Sam Kerr's Australia taking on the United States in the third place playoff game. We'll be looking at the tournament so far, how our Chelsea girls have done, and previewing those medal games in episode 30 of Went Smoking's Meadow going for gold. Episode 30, how time flies. Um, now, at this point, I've usually introduced my co host Jane, but she is unavailable tonight, so I've assembled a crack squad of guests to help me out. Um, we've got the delightful Mia Eriksson, the second most famous, most famous Swede after me. Uh, Mia, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I'm uh, feeling honoured to be uh, next to you, <laughs> the best Swede I know, outside yeah. Sweden. You have got the blue tick, though, and I haven't got that yet, but I'm working on it. Um, and we've also got two first-time guests. Firstly, Ben Gilby, uh, Beyond 90 Women's Football Correspondent. Ben, welcome to the show. Very good to see everybody. And... Unlike their women's football team, um, we've got an American who's made it to the big time, and that's Jay Warmington. Jay, hello and welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Dean. I'll try not to disappoint too much like we did in that tournament. Right, yeah, I had to um, make that little dig at the American women's team because the Olympics is too easy for them. Uh, now, what we normally do when we've got first-time guests is we get to talk about their Chelsea journey, their you know favourite memories, how they became fans, etc. So... Um, Ben, we'll start with you, and then uh, Jay, you go after. So, Ben, the floor is yours. Yeah, it's a very pretty different one for me because I've had no sort of affiliation with Chelsea's men's team whatsoever uh, since a kid, even though I, I sort of live in Kingston, which is sort of prime Chelsea territory. Um, so I sort of grew up watching Brentford and Norwich. Um, but in terms of women's football, I had a friend as I was a teenager who played state football in Sweden for... Now I'm going to get told off for pronouncing this wrong, so I apologise... I believe it was Ongermanland. Am I right? Am I wrong? Is that how you say it? Who knows? Anyway, yeah, so she played state women's, state girls football um, in Sweden. So I kind of got introduced to the women's game out there through her for a bit. And then I've got family out in Western Australia who uh, live about 20 minutes up the road from where Sam Kerr um, grew up and her family still live. So I kind of got introduced to her in 2008 and I sort of followed her career since 2008. Um, and from there, I've gotten very close to the Matildas and I'm very lucky to be able to write now and sort of be able to interview them as well, which is really cool. Um, so I started watching women's football um, just before the World Cup in France. Um, started watching locally at Sutton United and Fulham. And this is now my third year as a season ticket holder at Kings Meadow, which is brilliant. Yeah, so we've got um, Australian influence there. Uh, Jay, you're over in the States. How did Chelsea come about to you and yeah, the women's team in particular? Yeah, so so unlike Ben, I, I did kind of find my fandom for Chelsea women through the through the men's team initially, just because when I first became a Chelsea fan over here, oh maybe fifteen years or so ago, um, you know it wasn't real available a lot of to be, be access to a lot of a lot of matches, both club and international. So one of the things that really led me to Chelsea was was Didier Drogba and some of the uh, in particular and sort of in fact his impact nationally and you know a lot of the things he'd done in the Ivory Coast so I just kind of started very casually and over time has sort of moved from a casual fan to a 
pure on obsession. I, 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 most of my life, it revolves around Chelsea in one way or another, um, which you could imagine is probably a little odd to the folks here who don't know who, who Chelsea is. They think it's a person. So um, I, you know, it's, it's been a, like I say, a slow transition, but, but my sister was a really talented uh, soccer player. My dad was a coach for as well. And they were, um, so I grew up supporting her, watching her play. And I'd always had a, a real appreciation for women's football. And, and honestly, as I've sort of been able to compare the two and watch both the men's and the women's, I, there, there's something about the experience of, of following the women's team that I find so much more, I don't know if it's genuine or uh, feels like such a deeper connection uh, with fans. And, and there's kind of a wholesomeness around the game. There's, there's so much cynicism and political things around all of men's football that just, it, it, for me, it sours a lot of what I really enjoy. Um, and yet here's this, you know, a team like Chelsea women who are some of the best athletes in the world um, yet, in my opinion, are, heavily underrepresented by you know in the fan base and so um it's it's just been this really neat way to make connections uh with fellow fans and then um again what helps over here is that you know as these broadcast rights just continue to expand um being able to access all their competitions and not miss any matches um has been a huge help as my my passion for chelsea's grown yeah, I feel the same about the men's team. I'm steering definitely more towards the women's team, you know, focused. You've got season tickets, right, Jay? It's a long travel time, but you've got them. I, yeah, I, 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 I am a season ticket holder, although, you know, I'm, I'm wondering now, I feel a little sheepish about that because as they've sold out, which is great to be part of that, uh, yeah, maybe maybe there's someone that could have attended a little more often than I'll be able to. Um, that, but, I, yeah, that'll be a really neat thing, and my hope is to be back there for a match or two by spring, it seems like finally travel starting to loosen up a little bit from the US to the UK. So that would be my hope. Yeah, I don't know if you can do the ticket exchange for the women's team like they do with the men's, but perhaps that's an option so someone does get to go. Um, but yeah, so I think we've got a good mix for the Olympics podcast. We've got, you know, a Swede who's in the final. You've got an American in, an Australian representative in you know, the third place playoff and a Brit who's already at home. Um, but that's why I've got you guys here. Um, but let's go back to the first game, uh, Sweden against the United States. Mia, it was a tough end to the season for John Anderson, but this game showcased you know, everything that's good about her game, didn't it? Well, yeah, it was the US, and, and the US is the world's best team, right? So, <laughs> jokes aside, I think that um, uh, Sweden as a unit, uh, no weak links. I have nothing more to say about that performance because I, I think everyone in Sweden is not surprised, but yet surprised. I don't know how to explain it better than that. What about Jonna in particular? Because a lot of people saying we need to buy a fullback. And then she puts in a performance like that. Do we need to buy a fullback or is she good enough? I, I mean, we have we have spoken about this a lot, and and I feel like I'm a Swede. Jonna is Swedish, and I have talked to her many times, and I uh, like her as a person. So, with that in mind, but I think that I mean, you have you have to look at you can use. Uh, you can use players uh, with different formations, and it's no surprise that and that I didn't enjoy 
the use of Jonah uh, last season, especially not uh, at the end of the season. Uh, what I do think is that, I mean, I had the privilege to sit down and speak to Peter Gerardsson back in May. He was in Linköping when, when Linköping was about to play a game because uh, I'm sure he was watching Nilla Fischer back then. Uh, but then I interviewed him. I feel like, you know, he, he has one approach uh, of how to use his players uh, and he gets the best out of them. Uh, and I have full respect that it's, um, it's a hard thing to get the best out of every player, but it's how you compose a team. Uh, and I mean, Sweden played the US back in April and then Sweden uh, did the 3-4-3 formation with Jonna as a wing back. They played 1-1. Now they played with a four, four uh, in, at the back uh, and they won. So, I mean, she, she didn't screw up that bad, I think. Yeah, Jamie, I spoke there about you know, Sweden 4 as a team, but for, for America, it didn't really seem that way. So I've read a lot about the team harmony. You know, you've got players not kneeling, players kneeling, lots going on with America. What's sort of happening with the team? What's going on in the States? Well, there's certainly a lot of opinions about that over here right now. And, uh, you know, I think obviously the, the real basic, everybody can agree on. It was a highly disappointing tournament. Um, you know, I, I don't think we looked like the team we normally are at any point during the tournament. And, and I hope in saying that I'm giving full credit to the competition because, uh, you know, I, I, I know in particular, and I think, I think this Caitlin Murray article from prior to the Olympics really drew the ire of a lot of folks, including myself, frankly, but you know, that where that a lot of the uh, opinion about the America thing is too easy and too small and all that. And I, uh, I just hated seeing that headline, but you know, I, I don't think that necessarily a large percentage of the fan base feels that way, but yeah, I mean, you got to be confident. They've been highly successful for a really long time and they've got players that are full of confidence. Um, but what stood out to me so much specifically with the Sweden match was I just couldn't believe how overrun the midfield was. I mean, that's just such a strength usually uh, for the U S and it was kind of non-existent. I mean, Sweden, you know, it wasn't like, you know, obviously the scoreline tells you everything, but it, it was, wasn't some kind of fluke. I mean, the U S got outplayed sure could they have caught a break here or there to get a goal maybe but you know it also could have been worse than 3-0 so um that that was very eye-opening I did expect this tournament to be more challenging for the U.S. than maybe maybe some other folks and I and my, my myself wasn't um a huge fan of our squad selection for the competition um but certainly we had the experience and the talent to perform a lot better than we did and um you know i you know megan rapino's kind of come out and said the team just you know really didn't lack their joy and didn't say you, know, you just felt like that you didn't they didn't look like they played the way they normally play but you know how to how to parse that out and how to how to determine why that happened i mean that's the big question yeah a bad start for the united states but ben australia got off to a winning start 2-1 against new zealand uh what is the setup like for Sam Kerr in the national side? Obviously, she's crucial for Chelsea, but they've also got you know, Frank Kirby and Plena Harder who scored goals. Is it similar in the national team, or is she sort of she the one that leads them? Well, I mean, at the moment, yeah. I mean, let's face it, you know, she, she's one of the best players in the world at the moment. Um, you know, she's a she's an icon in Australian sport, never mind um women's football. You know, she she's she's been beamed onto the Sydney Opera House and all sorts of things. So she, you know, she's a big deal. 
going into the tournament there was a lot of concern that a bit like with great britain for, for britain it was you know if you shut down ellen, ellen white does that mean that britain don't score so going into the olympics was it you know if you, if you close sam down is that is that the end of it and i think going into the olympics the last couple of friendlies before that i think that was probably the case um i think we kind of need to bear in mind a bit obviously tony gustafson took over and he, he didn't really get any time in Australia with the team whatsoever. I don't think he's even set foot in Australia yet. Um, they only had a full strength team come together in June for the friendlies in Denmark and uh, Sweden. So it's been very disjointed. And I think that's why gradually we've seen as the Olympics have gone on, the performances have got better and better because kind of the organisation has got better, the understanding's got better. The new players that have come in have linked up better. And I think um, for me, the standouts as the tournament's gone on, along with Kerr, has been Mary Fowler's 18 from Cairns, who's just absolutely smashed it as an 18-year-old. And the way that Kaya Simon is being used as well, I think, is is helping. But it, it is, it's like Great Britain, isn't it? Great Britain or England, it's Ellen White that does scores the goals. And at the moment for Australia, it's generally still Sammy. Yeah, and she's she done very well in this Olympics scoring them. Um, in Team Jeep's opening game, they won obviously against Chile. Uh, only Millie Bright featured with Carly Telford and Sophie Ingle on the bench. Uh, Neve Charles and Frank Kirby, who was injured, not part of the squad. Uh, I'll admit the times of these games are really bad for me because I'm at work by the time the first game is starting, so I haven't watched any apart from highlights. Um, so the mic turns to anyone who wants to talk about Manchester City. Um, no, sorry, Team GB. They like to be called in this in this tournament. So has anyone watched any of the, the Team GB games? Wants to speak about them? Yeah, I mean I've seen all of them apart from the first game because um, that was on when I was, I'm, a, I'm a teacher, so that was on when I was, the term was still on. I mean, it, I know they got through the group pretty pretty comfortably, but it didn't really ever seem to come up to catch to catch fire at any point. I think it was really unfortunate that that we didn't see Fran at her best because I think that would have been that would have been a massive boost to the team. I think I'm not sure we'll talk about the defence issues later, but I mean, yeah, it didn't. It looked better than it had been for a while in terms of England's performances, but there was something not quite right there for me. I, I don't know what it is. It's kind of been a repeating pattern, isn't it, over the last sort of 12 to 18 months with, with the Lionesses? And I can first of all, you kind of put it down to Phil Neville, I think, but then Phil Neville's gone. And it's the same problems with arguably the same players causing those problems over and over again. Um, I, I don't know. I've got no answer to that. I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, it seems to me that I don't really watch the national team that much, but like they don't know where to build their team around. They're just putting out what they think is the 11 best players and getting them to figure it out. Sort of like the men's national side England did sort of in the golden generation, so to speak. And it never worked, so there was never a team. And we've spoken about Sweden playing as a team and Australia playing as a team and why they've done so well. Um, the second group game saw Sweden take on Australia. Um, it was a proper tournament football match, ending 4-2 in favour of Sweden. Uh, Mia, what did you make of that game? And in particular, Magda Eriksson, who was back in the starting lineup after being rested for the first game. Yeah, I think it, it, it was probably the most... It wasn't the best game because that was uh, versus the US. I think uh, Tony Gustafsson is uh, <laughs> uh, looking at those two games. I know it's about the players as well, but I think that Tony Gustafsson probably 
did show up uh, more, uh, as a better coach than, than the US coach. Um, he, he did know uh, what he was doing. Uh, it showed. Uh, but Sweden, I, I'm going to say this because I think that Sweden's best player uh, so far in this tournament has been Fridolina Rolfa. Uh, and it's, as a Swede, is it's such a joy to finally see her uh, playing full games uh, through a whole tournament because she, she has been very unlucky with injuries and, and being not fully fit and, and all of that. Uh, she was the different difference that game uh, for sure if Sweden didn't didn't uh, have had her on the pitch it would have been uh, like if Australia didn't have Sam Kerr on the pitch um, I mean her stats in this tournament is it's kind of yeah it, they are insane uh, so I think that was the difference uh, and then I think Sweden, uh, the, the biggest difference uh, about Sweden this time, uh, if we're going to look back on them, is that they are very clinical when they get their chances. If they get a, a chance to score, they do it. Uh, it hasn't always been like that. And I think we could see that when they played the US back in April. Uh, they could have won that game <laughs> as well. Uh, I mean, Rolfa did have uh, several chances in that game as well, linking up good with Jonna uh, down the left-hand side. Uh, but they didn't take the chances back then. And now, now they do that. So I think that's the difference uh, between Sweden and Australia. And that, that was what we saw yesterday as well. Yeah. And from a sort of Chelsea point of view, it was you know, Ericsson versus Kerr. Kerr got two goals, but it wasn't enough for the win. Is that a familiar story with Australia? Like sort of there, but not quite there? I mean, I kind of look at Australia's journey as kind of the friendly games plus the New Zealand and Sweden game. And I think there's a very distinct line at that point after the Sweden game. And I think then you start to see the influence of Tony Gustafsson more and more over the team. You know, Mia's absolutely right. The, the issue that um, the Matildas had against Japan in the final warm-up game against New Zealand big time in the first game and against Sweden was that they were finding it reasonably easy to create chances but when they had the territory in the possession they couldn't put enough chances away to you know make the difference on the score sheet I think you know the the Gustafsson era is really interesting because uh, I, I heard from three players after the semi-final yesterday uh, there was Kaya Simon, there was Steph Catley and there was Sam and every single one of them all made a big point about the way that Gustafsson has changed this team for the better. I mean I was on his first press conference that he did when he took over and you know he was very clear that it's it's a long-term project, it's a journey, it's peaking at the, the Home World Cup in 2023, Olympics this year, Asian Championships next year, World Cup the following year. You know, there's a wealth of youngsters in the W League right now that are coming through that are really going to hit their peak around 2022, 2023. You add in that with the, you know, the likes of the Sam Kerr era that will then be 30, 31. And you could argue that the team will be at their peak then. So I think 
Gustafsson is he's, he's seen that he's putting the blocks together and I think we finally we saw the US game big time and the Britain game and the semi-final the other day that that organization is now there and they're playing a completely different way to they played before and I think that's I think the future is bright then and I don't think anyone expected Australia to go beyond quarterfinals in this tournament realistically yeah, Australia have been interesting to watch on the highlights, definitely um, taking some people by surprise. Mia, did you want to come in there? Yeah, I want to say something about Magda in that game as well. Because um, when when you watch watch this game as a fan, uh, it's easy to say that, that she didn't manage Sam Kerr. She didn't, though. But in, if, you, if you look at uh, these two goals that Sam Kerr scored, uh, with uh, analysis eyes, uh, you can see that what Sweden didn't manage there, uh, it was the fact that they put too much focus on Sam Kerr and not too much, uh, too much pressure on the player with the ball. They let the player with the ball do whatever she wanted. And then they focused, Jonna and Magda, for the second goal, they focused so hard on Sam Kerr and then her colleagues in the back line, I'm not sure who it was. I think it was Amanda Ilestet, perhaps, uh, that it was Caitlin Ford, right? That had the ball, yeah, made the cross. They didn't go at her. They didn't put any pressure on her because they were too focused on, on Sam Kerr. If they just had put a little amount of pressure on the ball hold, holder, uh, I think the outcome would have would have been different. I suppose that's you know one of the tricks of having a player like her that people gravitate towards her and then they leave other players that are also good footballers free to, to do what they want. Jay, it was back to business for Team USA with a 6-1 win over New Zealand. I've got two questions for you. Did it feel like normal service had resumed in that game? And two, why is it that it's sort of American players haven't really worked out for Chelsea women? Yeah, that's a good question. I, yeah, I think the news, the first question, I think, I think it did a little bit, although I, you know, uh, as heavy, everybody knew that the big competition in the group was going to be the Australia and the Sweden match. So, you know, at least from a scoreline perspective, a little bit, but it was still two to one at halftime in that New Zealand game. And it just did not feel like we'd found our rhythm. And I think we scored three of those six goals after the 80th minute. So it just, you know, again, it, it, there was some like, okay, things are starting to settle out a little, but it, there just was this uneasiness thing. And, and after looking so surprisingly poor against Sweden, it, it still didn't feel right. I think against New Zealand. Um, although again, when it's six, one, it's a little hard to be too critical, but on the other part that, you know, that's a really good question. I, Crystal Dunn's my favorite uh, player on the U S women's national team. Um, and I would, I would love selfishly to see some more American players um, come over and join Chelsea and get a chance to watch them, know domestic play in domestic league more I also was really fascinated to see I, I would I'd like to see some more consolidation between the NWSL uh NWC, yeah and 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 NWSL I, I just think that um you know when we had Lavelle and Mewis and Press and some of these players come over particularly for the Manchester clubs um it seemed like maybe the pandemic was going to kind of force consolidation um and I, and I thought that would be pretty neat because there's been a lot of opinions about you know uh, this the, the leagues and now they're separated and the players and and uh, we've seen certainly players from either side of the you know uh, 
continent have have success in other leagues. You know, uh, I, man, Ebony Salmon's just blowing up uh, the NWSL at 19, and she's been here, you know, what a month, two months. Uh, so, so I just would like to see a lot of those players play more together in leagues. And I think it'd be, you know, we, we'd have so much talent on both sides. It'd be neat to see, but I don't know why specifically. I mean, I don't, I don't see that, you know, it, when, when they had the players come over and Manchester, both Manchester squads seem pretty interested in finding some players to take on. I mean, you, you all may feel differently, but I never got the impression that that was a, a priority of, of, you know, any transfer dealings with Chelsea. And I think they feel pretty good about the squad they've built and, and not disrupting, um, you know, even if it's a pretty good talent, although um, I've also been a little bit surprised that we haven't been a little more active this summer uh, with, with a few sightings. So um, yeah, I don't know. Do you, what do you think? Do you find any particular things about the club that um, why we haven't had any real, you know, Americans really click? Right, so it surprises me because obviously America's so good, you know, the Olympics, World Cup, so successful, and then the players come over and we weren't interested whatsoever. I know Emma spoke about, you know, the character of the group and there is a Scandinavian focus through sort of the leadership of the team, whether that's a culture slash personality clash that she doesn't want to bring into the club, why it hasn't worked maybe, obviously not knowing the players' personalities or personally, that's you know, not for me to say, but... I wonder if there's something there. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, Ben. I don't know, actually. I mean, I think I think you've probably got, you know, raised a really good point there in terms of the togetherness. Because I think, you know, the thing that Chelsea are really strong about is, is the squad cohesion, isn't it? Because I think there's a lot of big-name players in there that I think a, a number of other clubs wouldn't want to stick around if they weren't playing, you know. So there's lots of players that are on the bench that would be big-time starters for lots of other teams and lots of you know, in, in other parts of the league, but also in other countries as well. So, so I, that's the only thing that I can possibly think of. Yeah, I think they've got to be team players and, I, you know, they've got to be there for the, the club and for the shirt rather than for their own, you know, I mean, obviously there's got to be an extent of their own personal development. I think I think the players that Emma seems to bring in are very much sort of team, team orientated and sort of built and, and sort of buy into that. Can I... I have a theory around this because I think that uh, I could be wrong, but I think also that uh, so far, no American player has been abroad for several years mm -hmm. uh, and committed to a team. Uh, and I think that's, I'm not saying that's, that, the re that that is the reason now, but what we are seeing is Americans coming over to Europe to play for one year and then they're out of here. Uh, and as long as we we don't see the commitment to to a club, I think, yeah, it it might sound a bit controversial, but I think that's good. It's good that Chelsea don't sign Americans. Uh, with that being said, uh, with with the history uh, that the Americans have, uh, I also know uh, it's a fact that players. Uh, don't stick around in Manchester City too long uh, because no foreign player uh, seems to have um, yeah I mean something must be going on in that team uh, because I mean Kosovar Aslani was in Manchester City and she didn't enjoy enjoy it there uh, could be the culture could be the strategy of Man Manchester City that they want uh, young talents from from England or or Great Britain 
but I think I think you you see that in a lot of Chelsea players, they stick around. It's something that holds them at the club for more than just two three years. Yeah, you've been to Manchester. You probably know why people from abroad don't like to stick around for very long. Um, and I'm, I'm sure the club would actually love an American player to have sort of as you know an image like they do with Christian Pulisic for the men's team. He's so important to them in the states. I'm sure they would actually love that. But so the team sort of comes before the club there. Let's move on to the quarterfinals in particular, Team GB versus Australia. Uh, ben, it seemed that Team GB had a two-one win, ready to go. Um, but it was Sam Kerr that, that turned the game on its head. What was that game like to you? Were Australia sort of underdogs for that game or were they sort of level with Team GB? I think Australia were kind of still slightly under the radar at that point. I think there was a there was an awful lot of criticism back in Australia after the America game. Um, the way that they played out most of the second half um, there was all sorts of criticism about the fact that they were playing boring football and you know not adventurous and all the rest of it but for me that was where Gustafsson came into it and he, he got it absolutely spot on against America they got the result that they needed to progress um, the Britain game I think probably Britain were probably favourites in terms of going into the going into it because Australia were largely um, you know they kind of reached the quarterfinals at the Olympics they don't go any further I think it was it was pretty pretty much the tale of kind of two defenses it was going to be at that you know Australia weren't massively organized in defense going into that game I think that changed slightly during the Britain game which might sound strange having conceded three goals but it seemed to be more organized I think they they started to click more going up front. I think we saw Mary Fowler come on and was fantastic. And it was the old-fashioned Matildas never say die ethos. You know, they've always been a team that have had character that never know where they're be- that they're beaten. And I think we kind of we saw it. But but I mean, for me, that game came down to the penalty and extra time. I think if Britain had scored the penalty, that would have been it. It would have been all over at that point. But you know, obviously, that sort of then set a whole massive snowball of all sorts of other things going on after that and and yeah it was British defensive issues again wasn't it sadly as well yeah put in the uh, I mean you you have to you have to speak about Tony Gustafsson's you know in the moment because you could hear him scream so loud in that game reorganize reorganize shift side I mean he really coaches them Uh, you could hear it versus Sweden the other day too so I think he's, he's, he needs to be credited for, for that win because hearing him, I mean, you got to love the guy, not because he's a Swede, but, but because he's a, he's a great coach. His ethos, you know, just, just sitting in and listening on Zoom to his first press conference, he's absolutely fascinating to listen to. You know, I, I would just sort of love to sit in a room and just listen to him speak all day because he's just got the most incredible mindset he's you know he's really it's psychological you know he said he's he said in the press conference that you know before the game when the players are out doing their final warm-up he sits down and lies down on the bench in the changing room and and sort of listens to stuff on headphones and or he reads certain chapters from sort of positive mindset books to sort of get himself in the zone and just the sheer organization that he has now got in that team from the USA game 
onwards is he's taken them to another level and it's really exciting to be honest they've they've moved a lot further than I thought they would at this point in time I thought you know we wouldn't start to see changes positive changes happening maybe until just before the Asian Championships next year but the influence that he's got you know and as I said listening to what the three players said after the game yesterday you know they all said he has given us tools that we did not have in this squad as players before and that's why we were able to you know not lose to America we were able to get past a tough game against Britain which we didn't think we would win before which I thought was quite telling you know and, and that then that's not young players saying that that was Catley that was Kaya Simon who's 30 years old that was Sam Kerr you know so you just listen to those three players saying that about him tells you what he brings to the table and what potentially is possibly could happen over the next two or three years it shows the importance of having you know a, a great coach rather than just the name leading your national team uh, Jay, did you get to see the United States in the quarterfinals against uh, the Netherlands? And if so, what did you make of you know, Chelsea's new central defender? Yeah, I did. And if I may, just to add on what you guys were just saying, you know, as you're mentioning all of that, it, 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 it's connecting with me very much. And, and I, with our sort of lack of what seemed like lack of cohesiveness for this tournament, you know, and, and obviously a big focus of that has been, you know, having a pretty new coach with the team and, 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 you know, Vlatko, I, you know, there's been a lot of talk about his style and his pressing system and whether that was going to work in the heat, you know, and so I, I don't know, there's a lot of excuses, but, but what I do think is, you know, you both have commented and rightly so, I think about the, the kind of cohesiveness of your, your team, your squad between the, the coaching style, the roster, the effectiveness, the team understanding the manager, him being able to coach them and them having, and I think that that's something we didn't have. I didn't see any of that from the U S in this turn. So and whether that's, I would have liked to see a little more of a squad refresh so we could get some more young players in there and not have quite as um, you know, when you're, when your players are so much more experienced in these settings than your manager, you just sometimes wonder who's leading the way, you know? And so um, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, bring in a few younger players with some to challenge those, uh, the, the old guard, but also bring in players with some enthusiasm for this tournament. Um, and, and also I think that, you know, they've got a lot of really big personalities. I think when you're, you know, we, we were just talking about Emma Hayes and the care that she takes in managing squad and not just in you know uh, personnel decisions and yeah the approach and the long-term approach and the way she builds that and and I think if you're going to have a team in which you've got players on your substitute bench that are world-class players and they're not miserable it shows a lot about how you, you how you're able to approach each person in that roster and the U.S. just has a you know a conglomerate of a bunch of big personalities and different things, and I, I don't imagine that's the easiest group of personalities to have and to get together in one direction. So, um, you know, whether or not that's something that can get all sorted out and pointed back again under Vlaco, I don't know. But um, anyway, I, I sure saw what you guys are talking about—the way your teams played versus the way the U.S. looked really disjointed. Um, and I did going back to your question, Dean. I did get to catch the the match with the Netherlands, um, like you. I it was rough timing for me as well. Um, most of these matches are 2 a.m., 3 a.m. Um, over here. And so I did catch that one. And, uh, you know, I, I was certainly encouraging because we know how talented the Netherlands is. I'm a, that's kind of the second team I follow as a, a, with Dutch heritage. And so, however, it kind of fit our style better because even though the Dutch are really talented, they're going to 
try to play a little more open game and that's what we're good at. Um, and so there were things that concerned me quite a bit, particularly the way we marked Miedema. I just, I mean, golly, she's such a talented player and knowing the way that she, the presence that she is in the box and her ability to finish quickly. And it was confusing to me that some of the space that we left her, uh, you know, I would have almost liked to see us with more of that Sam Kerr approach of having multiple defenders really focusing on the player in the box rather, you know, because she, she just, we, she, she was too much for us. And it just some things that were unusual to see, you know, from players like Sauerbrunn and, and uh, we just have such experienced players and, and they, but, and it all came down to it going into the penalty shootout. You had to, you know, it felt pretty good. It's a good group of players. You know, that Megan Rapino and, you know, a lot of the U S players aren't going to feel a lot of pressure in that situation. And, and that was a, but again, it's like, man, we squeak by, we barely pull it out with pens. So, you know, the opt you're trying to find the silver lining and say, okay, maybe this is the start of us around. But if you're honest with yourself as a fan, it just really never felt that way. Even, even after knocking off the Netherlands. Yeah, Mia, Sweden's route to the semi-final was you know slightly more straightforward. Um, you know, three-one win over Japan. But I want to skip ahead to yesterday's game against Australia. Uh, without rubbing salt into Ben's wounds too much, you know, talk us through the game. You know how Magda did, who was right for Sweden, and how they won this one. Yeah, I think I'm gonna say <laughs> I, I spoke to some Australian journalists. Uh, uh, about this uh, after the game yesterday. I think this is a cruel tournament. They play so many games in... Yeah, we're not going to talk about it. I mean, like, for instance, ahead of, of yesterday's game, Stina Blackstenius had played like 120 or 70 minutes, I'm not sure, and Sam Kerr had played 400 minutes. Uh, so it, it kind of feels that the quality of the game uh, drops with each game being played and it's all about resilience it's all about who's gonna you know put that shitty goal into to the net uh, it felt like that yesterday uh, to be honest I think that Australia had uh, they played better football but and then we can end up in this discussion what is better football because if you don't score you're not going to win. And so I think uh, Ben said it before. <laughs> I mean, Australia, they're on a journey. Sweden is at the end of that journey. Uh, and they're, they're supposed to be in this final. Uh, I think um, we all kind of expected that from Sweden, in Sweden. Uh, but being, um, you know, in that group, we sort of, thought that oh my god how how is this gonna end uh, and with that win versus the US they put the pressure on themselves Sweden to perform like this but versus Japan and versus Australia the other day it wasn't that clear but at the end of the day again Sweden is at the end of the journey and Australia is in the beginning of their journey um, and I think that you know, these two last games, uh, Sweden started with the same back line for the first time. They had the same four, four backs uh, for the first time in the tournament, these two games. And Magda back at left, uh, left-hand side, full-back position, uh, like she played uh, in the World Cup every game. And I think that's, 
that's sort of just telling on how what quality it is uh, among Sweden's uh, center backs because they should all start and if you can start them all on center back position you you find a way to start them anyway but i mean i listened to magda talking about you know going into the world cup she knew she was going to play left left back uh, I'm not sure she did this time and i'm not sure she had the time to prepare for for this um uh, position because she said ahead of the World Cup that you you have to train completely different uh, being a fullback compared to being a centre back. And uh, I think um, if I'm going to look uh, at the way she played in the World Cup uh, and compare compare it to to this ga- these games, I think she played better uh, in the World Cup uh, in this pos- position. But then again, I think she needs to be on the pitch because she is one of the players that have been on this journey with Sweden. And then you play a player like that because she will be important. Uh, if you did, I mean, you Ben, you watched the game. I could hear Magda scream like it echoed in that stadium uh, a couple of times. She's screaming and directing and leading and, and you, need, you need a player like that. And that's why why she is in Sweden starting eleven. Yeah, and obviously, me that Sweden reaching their crescendo while Australia sort of tuning their instruments still a bit. You know, is it viewed as just you know, a step too far, but still proud of the journey that the team went on at this Olympics? Oh, crack! Absolutely. I mean, they they overachieved. You know, in 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 the in the journey they were on, nobody expecting to get this far. And I think the key thing was if they were going to get a stranglehold on the game it had to be done in the first half because after that you know after the extra time you know you factored in 85 percent humidity i think the game was played in they were saying it was a bit like playing in north queensland tropical atmosphere as well so if you sort of factor that in as well i think you know there was like a 15 20 ish minute spell before half time where you know australia were knocking on the door knocking on the door knocking on the door but same old same old they couldn't turn that pressure when they needed it into goals. And I think, um, I don't know, me and I think I'm being a bit cheeky here, but I think halftime came at a really good time for Sweden and it came for a really bad time for Australia because within about five five minutes of the second half, obviously um, Sweden scored. But then after that, you know, you could see the batteries were draining. And I think... I think you could maybe argue that Gustafsson maybe left it five minutes or so too late to bring on a few changes. I don't know. I don't think it would have had a massive amount of difference. But, you know, there was a 10-minute spell once the three, you know, Kyra Cooney-Cross, Mary Fowler, Claire Polkinghorne came on, where there was a bit of a bit of a flurry and, and what have you. But, yeah, yeah, look, massively proud. You know, Sweden absolutely deserve to be in the final. They are, for me, they're by far the best and more consistent team out of everyone else in in the competition and you know they just they deserve to win it they absolutely deserve to win it but yeah I couldn't be proud of Matildas and I don't know if tomorrow if not tomorrow the bronze medal game is another game to fight I think it just depends on how both teams approach it yeah I'm I'm gonna say we joked about I, I sat talking to a friend during this game because we kind of joked about that if Sweden were gonna drop lower down the pitch, they were going to end up in Hedvig Lindahl's lap. (laughs) 
So you're right about that. Yeah, and obviously they will play the United States after you know, Canada beat them 1-0. Uh, Jay, as a Chelsea fan, we all love to see Jesse Fleming score goals. Perhaps not when it's knocking your country out of the Olympics. Um, but what did you make of you know, Jesse's performance in the game and then the game as a whole? Uh, you know, if somebody's got to do it, it might as well be a Chelsea player, right? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, she, she, yeah, I, it's really cool. And there was a, there was a pretty neat picture uh, after the game. Uh, I think it was, was, was with her and Sinclair, just these kind of, I think, you know, that whole Canada team knows like Jesse's the future. Uh, and she's, you know, I think it was kind of like the passing of the baton in some ways to, to you know, this tournament to sort of her kind of being the, the for that team. Um, you know, it was, it was cool. I mean, I, you know, we, I know Dean, you're a big uh, Jesse fan, and I am too. I'd love to get play a little more. I I do think that's coming. I, uh, you know, I think she's going to be featured quite a bit more for us, particularly next year, and and though I hope so anyway. Um, you know, I, those Canada matches are always so physical. Uh, it's kind of you know fun to watch, but I, it was uh, yeah, it is a little tough pill to swallow to, to you know have the have enjoy seeing one of your players from your club team have success, but it's one of the oddities I have all the time of following the league in England, a lot closer than I follow things here. And I'm a lot bigger Chelsea fan than I am a U.S. women's national team fan. So sometimes my allegiances are blurring that I, even my own brain doesn't kind of make sense of, um, but it, it was excellent to see Jesse kind of come into her own here uh, in a little bit here in this tournament. Yeah. I always support Chelsea and not the national team. So I was guaranteed a gold medal pretty early on. Um, obviously, Thursday, we've got you know, Ben versus Jay in the bronze medal match. Ben, sort of the two teams drew nil-nil in the group stages. You know, can Australia go that one step further and you know, beat them in this game? I think it depends on how, as I was saying before, both teams approach it. Um, obviously, Ellie Carpenter is definitely out, which is a massive loss um, for any team. Um Incidentally, she's a player that I would love to see at Chelsea for all sorts of reasons, but that's unlikely to happen um, at the moment. I think I think there's an argument for putting in more of the youngsters from the start for this game. Um, but then having said that, there's a lot of talk um, coming out of the Matildas camp that they are absolutely dead set on taking out the bronze. They, they kind of feel they've come this far They've they've done massive things. The team are they were incredibly tight. You know, there's always a really good team ethos about the Matildas, but there seems to be something even more there now since they've been in camp six seven weeks now with Gustafsson that seems to pull them that bit tighter together. So I I wouldn't be surprised if Sam started on the bench. I think it would be quite good to see Mary Fowler get a start and probably Kyra Cooney Cross get a start in midfield as well. But yeah, I think if both teams go at it with their strongest players, I would suspect probably given the physical state that most of the Australian players are in, it would probably be an American win. But if, if Tony decides to mix it up a bit, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say the other dead set on taking the bronze. You know, it's a big sort of thing for them to do. Mm. Whereas Jay, I think with the United States, perhaps they might look down on the bronze medal a little bit. Maybe they were expecting, you know, not expecting to win, but expecting to be in that gold medal match. And perhaps this is viewed as a step below them. Would that be true of the United States or how are they going to approach this game? Yeah, I mean, maybe there's an argument out there somebody could make that they would, that, you know, they'll show up for this game and, you know, have a vintage performance. But that's an argument I find hard to make because it hasn't, this should, if anything, should be the, the match they would be the least focused on. You know, if they had 
underperformed due to pressure or, you know, not meeting expectations, but I don't think that has anything to do with their underperformance here. You know, they, they've struggled because they have just not gelled. They haven't looked like themselves. And so, yeah, I, I was very interested to hear what Ben would say from the Australian perspective, because I, I, I would, maybe it's just the loss of confidence I've had through this tournament, but I would, if I were a betting man, be leaning towards Australia um, because what I, what I hope Blacko will do is approach is kind of like you were saying Australia might Ben, and that's to let some of our players that he has not been giving a lot of minutes to play. I think that would do multiple things. I mean, we have, you know, Katarina Macario is a player that I, it drives me nuts that she hasn't gotten more time. You know, she's, she, we, we fought so hard to get her international allegiance and then, and, you know, she's playing, getting minutes for Lyon, and she can't even get on the field when our midfield's struggling and we have injuries. And, you know, give a player like that a full match and, and you know, let Lynn Williams play a full, you know, don't sub her off right after halftime and let some of the other players. I think that would be the U.S.'s best to, to, to look for. I, I, I think if they throw out this, you know, Crystal Dunn, like I said, my favorite player, but, you know, Mia made a great point. I mean, she's she's watching her now play she that she is exhausted and she's giving it everything she has but you know i watch her play all the time in the nwsl and she's just electric for portland and yet you know she's she you can see she's dead and so again i i think it's so hard to predict because i think we have it's going to be hard to even know who's going to show up in either starting 11 um but man i i think I, I do have a hard time imagining that this bronze medal match is going to be something that really refocuses this U.S. team right before they travel back to America. So, again, I, that, hopefully we'll see something more better, but I, I, I don't imagine so. Yeah, no offense to you, Jay, but we're hoping for Sam Kerr to get the bronze medal here. Um, Mia, then on Friday, uh, 3 a.m. UK time, so I'm definitely not watching this. Um, Sweden take on Canada in the gold medal match. Uh, how can Sweden win it? How will both Magda and Jonna play? And how can they keep Jesse Fleming quiet for Canada? Yeah, uh, I, I'm expecting Sweden to win this um, because uh, Canada has been really great at shutting uh, other teams down defensively, but they haven't been a threat going forward. Um, I mean, they're average per 90 uh, xg uh, during this tournament is 1.16 and i think sweden's is like i'm actually going to check this while we speak but it's um it's more uh, and it's higher i think it's 1.64 that's one thing because i think that uh, with sweden's uh, ability to defend um, and play like a unit at the back. I think that's what Canada has been doing to get there. We saw it, saw it versus the US. I mean, uh, the US press were kind of mad uh, and yet they didn't manage to win. Uh, and defensively, uh, Canada has been doing great. But going forward, they haven't been causing any threat that I'm worried about uh, anything can happen it's a it's a final but i'm expecting sweden to win this and i'm expecting peter jaradson to leave jonna out of the starting 11 and play the same back four that he has been doing all along it it depends on if hannah glass is fit uh, i saw she was uh, having a lot of eyes on one knee uh, after the game 
because if she don't play, Jona will play left fullback and Magda will step in to play center back, I think, with Amanda Ilestet and uh, Natalie Björn, Everton's newest signing, will play uh, right back. But I'm expecting to see the same back four. Uh, because I think why why change something that has been has been good so far? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jay, before the tournament, I spoke about you know the competition being vital to Frank Kirby's Ballon d'Or hopes. Um, she yeah, didn't really get to play at all. But does the fact that the United States you know haven't won this tournament make her you know case a bit stronger? Because we see what happened when. Rapino won the World Cup. She played five games in the NWSL and was still voted the best player in the world. Does the fact that they're not the gold medalist help Frank Kirby's case? Yeah, maybe so. I, I of course that would be. I would love to see her seriously considered. It. I'm sure she will be. But I, I, it's very hard for me to figure out how it's not one of the Barcelona players. I think you know, maybe maybe because the internet some of the international. But ooh, man, they had just such an incredible season, and Hermoso in particular, I think, will probably get it. Um, you know, having won every competition, uh, you know, and and I'm sure if I was a Barcelona fan, I would have a hard time understanding how a Chelsea player, you know, would win that when with the success they had in the individual. But that being said, I'd be happy to have that argument and that reality because. You know, Fran's Fran's so deserving, and I, it was really cool. I loved that. I loved the my favorite thing from this tournament from Sam Kerr was, you know, after the Great Britain game when she was kind of like, you know, kind of did a little dig at GB for saying, "Hey, you, you've got the you put you got the best player in the world on the bench, so it's great for me to come out here and not have to compete against her." So, you know, I I I, I think that she is right up there as potentially the best player in the world. But I just I just have to imagine that she lost probably the real shot at that the same on that Champions League final day. Yeah, I think you're right, but I don't like to talk about it. Um, ben, mm-hmm. I'll give you a moment to sort of let loose on Sam Kerr. Um, she's had her doubt as a time at Chelsea, but she's you know, won the WSL Golden Boot. She's been sensational in the Olympics. You know, is she the Aussie sort of goat? I mean, she, she's the... She's one of the biggest sporting stars in the whole country, and that's saying something for you know one of the most sporting orientated countries in the world. Yeah, the Matildas were named as the country's favourite national team, I think it was two years ago. You know, and for a women's football team in Australia to take that award over the rugby league team, over the cricket team, over the rugby union team, that's that's massive in itself, which gives you some idea of you know the standing that the team have got, and then you put Sam into that, who's way above it. I mean. I found the criticism, and I know Mia will probably smile at this as well. I found the criticism of Sam very hard to take um, when she came in to the club, because for me, she wasn't playing really any different than I've seen her play over the last 10 years. You know, for the Matildas, until 20s, I probably need to check this out, it's either 2017 or 2018, but until 2017 or 2018, She'd only scored a handful of goals in her first 50 caps for Australia um, because she was mainly being used as the creative setup to Lisa Devanna. So she was being used for the Matildas from 2010 to 2017, pretty much the way she was playing for Chelsea when she first came in. I think part of the issue was with the media because it was, oh, you know, the, one of the world's greatest goal scorers is coming in. And all people saw was that she wasn't scoring goals or she was missing 
really easy chances. People were not seeing the creative side to her game that, she, that she's had since she was a 14 year old playing for Perth Glory, you know. And I, th I think that was a real shame that people didn't seem to understand her as a player. They only saw her as a goal scorer. I think obviously now we're seeing both sides of it. I think we also need to bear in mind that she didn't play with Fran at all when she first came in because Fran was out. Um, I think she had a, she was having a really good understanding with Beth, but then COVID came in. We also need to factor in that she is 10,000 miles from home. She hasn't been home to Perth for two years. Her family are very, very tight. Um, you know, the, she's very, very close to Western Australia. And I would imagine that if she ever does go back to the W League, it will be to Perth Glory simply because the link she has with the Western Australian community. I think we are seeing her as a rounded footballer now. But I would just, I would still say, don't think of Sam Kurt as a goal scorer because she's way more than that. Yeah, we obviously, Chelsea fans love Sam Kerr. And, you know, we've got some more things to win first before she thinks about going home. So I hope she can stick it out a little bit longer. Uh, Amir, seeing as sort of Sweden are in the gold medal match, you know, what would it mean to watch Magnus potentially win a gold medal uh, for your country as well? I think it's kind of interesting. <laughs> I was in, an, in another podcast yesterday and then I was asked the same question. And I think for Sweden, uh, the media is not as, you know, edgy <laughs> on women's football <laughs> as the English media is. Uh, good or bad, uh, I'll let you decide that. Uh, but in this tournament uh, for the Olympics, they, they have sort of taken a more deeper, you know, look at the women's game. Uh, and I, I think that's very positive. So... And when, when they won the bronze medal uh, back in uh, 2019, uh, they had, I mean, like 35,000 people waiting for them uh, in Gothenburg. Uh, it won't be the case this time around because of the pandemic going on, but I'm sure that um, I see that, that Sweden is expecting this gold medal now. And I, I think it's, it's kind of kind of you know cool that all of a sudden Sweden is the favorites to win a gold medal uh, have never been the case and this is kind of strange because they have been taking so many medals through championships and tournaments uh, and I for one think it's kind of cool that there are back-to-back -back finalists in the Olympic tournament uh, so I think that uh, I'm going to go with Magda here and say that I expect no less than a gold medal. Well, it'll go well with, with the shirt, I suppose. So um, it has to be gold. Um, sadly, that's all we've got time for this week. Good luck to Sam Kerr in that bronze medal match. Um, sorry, Jay, again. And to Magda, John, Zakira and Jesse as they battle for gold on Friday morning. Uh, don't forget if you want to listen to our summer series, My Daughter the Professional, then sign up to our Patreon Interviews with Steve Cuthbert, um, the father of Erin, and Lisa England, the mother of Beth, are live now. And I'll leave links in the descriptions to everything else that we do. Um, but yeah, Jay, a uh, big thank you for joining us. I know it's not always easy with timings with the States and the UK, but you know, we made it work. And I'm sure we will again. Do you want to just give the listeners your social media platforms, how they can find you? 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Dean. Uh, so my uh, my uh, Twitter handle is at jwilmington, uh, no space. And then I um, you can also find uh, my articles on We Ain't Got No History, which is uh, Chelsea's SB Nation blog site over here in America. Yeah, one of the, the biggest sites, I think, that We Ain't Got No History, uh, big players in, in the game. Uh, ben, yeah, thank you for joining us. So, Sadly, Australia not in the final, but great to see Sam doing so well. Um, where can the listeners find your work and what you do? Yes, yeah, so on Twitter, I'm at Ben Gilby One, um, and so most of the links to the articles that I do for, for Beyond Ninety and Impetus, which is my women's football site, can be found through there. Yeah, thank you very much. Me, I'm sure most people follow you already, um, but just in case you know, there's a couple of stragglers, where can they find your work? Yeah, uh, it's uh, Mia underscore Eriksson, uh, the way Magda spells her last name, but not the way she spells it on Twitter. <laughs> it's with a K and two S's. Um, so you'll find me there. Yeah, look for the blue tick. Um, and I'll leave the links <laughs> in the description box below. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Let us know your thoughts on the Olympics. You know, who you think has done well, who you think could have done better. How excited are you to watch you know, the Chelsea players back again next season? But uh, until next time, Chelsea fans, from Kings Meadow to Tokyo, keep the blue flag flying high. Podcasts, die wir lieben. Es ist nicht alles gay, was glänzt. Oder doch? Das klären wir jetzt in Busenfreundin, der Podcast. Hey Leute, mein Name ist Ricarda. Ich bin Comedy-Autorin und die Stimme des LGBTIQ-Podcasts Busenfreundin. Und ich treffe jede Woche spannende Menschen und spreche mit ihnen über alles, was die queere Szene bewegt. Bei Busenfreundin gibt es Unterhaltung gepaart mit Haltung. Oft. Also nicht immer. Denn manchmal schweife ich auch ab, zum Beispiel mit Leuten wie Riccardo Simonetti, Sarah Kuttner und vielen, vielen mehr. Also schaltet jetzt ein zu Busenfreundin, eurem Lieblings-LGBTIQ-Infotainment-Podcast. Bei Acast finden die besten Podcasts aus aller Welt ein Zuhause. Abonniere diese Show oder finde weitere spannende Podcasts bei Acast oder wo immer du Podcasts hörst. 